It's HPG. Thank you so much for your continued support during our podcast holiday. I hope you enjoyed our top-rated episodes. I am thrilled to share Season 2 of Living My Breastless Life with you. So here's to it. Welcome to Living My Breastless Life podcast. I'm your host, HPG. In Season 2, you'll continue to hear about how we can heal no matter what we go through, some tips and truths for self-improvement, and some little nuggets of wisdom for finding yourself on your path. I'll be hosting some mini-sodes, interviewing some awesome guests, and of course, some episodes with my occasional co-host, Martha. So let's go. On today's episode, we have guest Lindsay Fraser, licensed marriage and family therapist, certified sex therapist, to talk about the Enneagram, a system of personality typing that I am personally obsessed and fascinated with. So let's go. So Lindsay, tell the listeners what is the Enneagram. So when I think about, I try to make it as simple as I can because the Enneagram is actually quite a complex system. But the way that I often think about it is thinking that there are nine different ways that all of us approach the world. Um, and if we go through, and I can just briefly like give like a little touch point for each type. So we have our type one, which is our perfectionist. They want to be seen as good within the world. Their biggest fear is they're going to be seen is as bad or corrupt. Um, We have our type two, which is the helper. They want to be loved. Their biggest fear is they'll be unloved. We have our three. And with three, it's always interesting because I will give three words. They either want to be seen as successful, precious, or, um, or impressive. And so depending on the three, they're going to connect to one of those three words. Oftentimes you'll hear people say success, but not every three will um, feel that. And so usually it's one of those three words, precious, impressive, or successful. And their biggest fear is they're going to not be seen that way or be seen flawed. Um, Well, ones will want that as well. Um, The four is is they want to be seen, they're called um, the romantic or the individualist, depending on sort of what you look like, look at, and they want to be seen as unique. Or what I'll say is a lot of what they're doing is a deep dive into who I am as an individual. So really want to understand the self in great depth. And then your five is your um, intellect. And they want to be seen as competent. Their biggest fears will be seen as incompetent. Your six is your loyalist. They want to be seen. And again, here what's interesting with six is they either want security and safety or they want reassurance or both. So even with sixes, some sixes I will notice don't like the security word. They're going to actually say, I really want reassurance that everything I need and want is okay. And their biggest fear is that they'll be led without direction or not have that security, safety, or reassurance. And then your seven is your adventurer and they want to be, they don't want, they want freedom and ability to explore what they want. Your eights are your challenger. They don't want to be controlled by others. And your nines are your peacekeepers and their biggest fears. They'll have disconnection or conflict in their life. Um, And a lot of people want to know like what my type is (laughs) Um, and I'm a nine. So I'm the peacekeeper. Awesome. I am a six, like to the hilt. I can relate to the security part and the reassurance part. So 
how do the listeners determine what Enneagram type that they are? You know, it's it can be a little bit of a process of discovery. So I oftentimes will actually have my clients or people come in, take some of those online tests. A really good free site is Eclectic Energies. Um, that'll pull out your Enneagram type as well as your instinctual stacking. Otherwise, um, Russ Hudson's The Ready is also a really good one to take as well. But I always give a disclaimer with online tests because online tests are not always accurate. Um, and I highly encourage people to seek out someone that can do an Enneagram typing interview with you and kind of help you hone on your type, especially because there are a few types in particular that often will test wrong. And our two types actually are, <laughs> are some of those, your sixes and your nines. And so your sixes and nines can come out all kinds of different things sort of when you take this test. But oftentimes it's nice to have sort of the test as a way to be like, you're typically one of the top Three. And a lot of times what I do in my practice is, is like help clients through that. Or there have been times where I'm like, you know, I had someone um, definitely test as like a, I had someone test as a one more recently. And I was like, I actually think you might be a four um, and kind of had him go and look at a little bit about like what the, the four is. And, and, it, and it makes sense. And this is why I'm kind of going into this a little bit too, is that sometimes um, we will, we have access to different numbers. And so this particular person's circumstance, they were using one as a way to sort of navigate their life because they had to be um, pretty grown up early on. So it's it's really interesting. So as I'm saying this, typing is complex. <laughs> Tests are helpful. I highly recommend that you meet with someone that can kind of walk you through that typing interview. Um, and, and I can do that. And there's also many other people that I know that can do that as well, um, that are really well at able to help clients or people kind of figure out what their type is. Yeah. So it sounds like it's a good, like the online testing is a good way to kind of get an idea of what your number might be. And you could read a little more about it. I know I read a lot. I went on a healing self-discovery journey in April of 2021, still on it. And I read a couple books about it. And I've had a lot of talks with my therapist about it. How do you think that it's helpful for individuals to know their type. I think it's essential in a multitude of ways. I think one thing in particular is, is that we often think people experience the world that way we do, right? So there's a few things as far as like in the couple's work, as well as your own worker journey. So, you know, we often project sort of how we experience the world onto others, and the reality is, is none of us experience the world exactly the same. And the Enneagram has been like a huge tool sort of in my therapy practice. I actually see work happen quickly and more quickly than it used to now that I do use it because it gives you insight into yourself as well as into your partner. And I think there's also this piece of, you know, it's so like a really good example that I will use is, is like even taking my own type, let's take the type nine, the peacekeeper, right? And the type eight, the challenger. You can't give the same sort of self-growth piece that you need. So for instance, you know, a lot of times we might read things, it's important to be more assertive. It's important to state what you need and what you want. Well, it's like, for me as a nine, yeah, I need that. As an eight, actually, they need to be able to learn how to step back and recognize that sometimes what they say things is too direct and too blunt and doesn't think about how their actions or behaviors might affect someone else. So actually telling someone that's an eight to be more assertive is actually not what they need. They actually need to step back 
and like listen and pay attention um, to more of what's happening. And so to me, it creates huge generosity and understanding of how different people approach the world. Um, I'm married to um, a five, um, which is the intellect seeker. Um, and one of the things I think was huge in my understanding is I was actually often dismissing him and had no idea that I was doing it because he would like share something that he was afraid of um, as far as like a, an exam or a test that he was going to take, right? In my head, I'm like, well, if you fail it, you just take it again. Well, when you're telling someone that their biggest fear is incompetency, just take it again, you can see how that would really dismiss their their experience. And for me in particular, like having that knowledge is like, oh, I feel that way, right? Like if I just fail it, I'll just try again. It's not that big of a deal. It'll be okay. But he doesn't. And I think knowing that is is really huge. So it just creates that generosity, like knowing that, um, I use Brene Brown's term of generosity, which is we're all doing the best that we can sort of any given moment. And in that process, we still hurt people unintentionally. Well, when we think of it that way, I'm much more soft when I come to my partner too, right? Because now I understand like, oh, I unintentionally hurt him versus like, why can't he just be okay with that? Like, it's not a big deal if you fail, for instance. Yeah. So it gives us a knowing about ourselves and then our partners or our close friends and family and a different perspective. Because for example, I, as a six, am loyal to a fault. I love a plan and I will plan something to the hilt. I'll use vacation as an example. I had to figure out what rest looks like for me So as a six, like I will plan it until we get into the driveway of our destination. And then I don't want to plan. I don't want to make any decisions. I don't know what I want to eat. I don't know if I want to take a shower. Like I'm done. And for like that week, it's incredibly restful, which is confusing because I am so like plan oriented. If you didn't really know a lot about about that, it could it could be confusing. Like she loves to plan everything. There's safety and a plan. There's security and a plan. There's you know something that I learned with my therapist is like an example that is confusing to people who might think, but what do you mean you don't want to plan or there's safety and a plan, right? So I think it is a good way to be generous with ourselves and and with our partners. So like when you think about the nine Enneagram types, if they were going to come to a gathering that was hosted by someone else, what would a one bring? I mean, I think if you think of a one, um, they're already going to have planned out what they wanted to bring. They're going to pay attention to sort of like what is the perfect thing. So, I mean, I think what's interesting with this too is like also the instinctual stacking stuff. Um, and I know everybody's familiar with that, but it's like, you know, I think of this, you know, this, there's self-preservation, there's social and there's sexual. And it's like self-preservation is all about your basic needs being met. So like if the person was a self-preservation one, for instance, they would be bringing the perfect food item that everybody would enjoy to make sure that everybody was well fed is <laughs> sort of how I think about it. And they would have been planning it weeks ago <laughs> to get the ingredients, what the food item would be. They're going to do a lot of research. It's step-by-step um, sort of planning and execution of that, of that item, especially if they were given the food item as the thing to bring. Gotcha. So what would a six bring to the party? 
I think it's really interesting with sixes because I also think of sixes as like my debaters. And so like the the six would come to the, if you wanted to have a good debate about um, some current event, um, it, it's been interesting to me as a nine, because sometimes when I initially I have a lot of good friends that are sixes, I'd be like, why are they arguing with me? Like, why are they, why, you know, and it's, and it's like that want and desire to sort of like, they're going to bring the debate to the, to the party. And they're going to be the engaged one sort of in that moment of like the devil's advocate of like, have you thought about this and this? And I think it's, it's interesting too because they would also want the reassurance of like what's going to happen at the party and who's going to be at the party and am I going to know someone at the party but once that reassurance was met for them then they're going to be like where's where's a person I can engage in some intellectual debate with so let's take a little break feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes Get in touch by heading over to According to HPG on Instagram and be sure to tell your friends about the show. There was a time when I thought I could record, edit, and publish everything myself. Seeing as this left me very little time for anything else, I started to lose the standard of quality I was used to. Then I found Jay. In less than a day, the show went from so-so to amazing. Don't sacrifice quality for mediocrity. Check out the podcast mechanic and take your sound to the next level. Connect with Jay today at the podcast mechanic on Instagram. Let him know HPG sent you. Let's get back to the show. So you are a nine. I'm a and nine. I am married to a nine. What are the nines bringing to the party? The nines are the ones in the background watching what's going on. Um, one of the things that's happened to me most of my life too, is like, you're kind of the confidant, right? Like you're the person in the background, you're on the periphery, you're paying attention to everything that's happening there. Um, and I tend to have been the person, it actually is what led me to becoming a therapist where people were often telling me their, their story or the things that they were struggling with, like their safety and there's like comfort in that. Um, they're also the ones, if, if there is issue or concern between anybody within the party, they're going to step in and oftentimes try to smooth it out or try to help people understand like, well, here's where this person was coming from. And had you thought about this and here's where this other person's coming from and have you thought about this? Um, and so they're going to be the ones that are going to be uncomfortable with any sort of chaos. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to me because I think about it at the party, like, you know, the eight's loud, the six is debating. And I'm going, oh my God, how do I, how do I get them to stop? <laughs> and my, and my really good friend said to me, Lindsay, we don't want it to stop. We actually enjoy this back and forth that, and this is a six in particular, like we actually enjoy the back and forth that we can have with the eight. And so I think that's really interesting too, in the sense of like, you know, that, that assumption that we make about what other people want, like, right. Like I want the environment calm. I want the environment quiet. Not everybody else does. And so like really knowing like what we need and want. And so like, I wouldn't want that, 
Um, but your eights and your, I mean, eights, sevens or sixes or threes could all engage in that and enjoy that. <laughs> you're a nine and you're married to a five. I'm a six and I'm married to a nine. Do you see in your practice Enneagrams that are commonly paired with one another as partners, like romantic partners? Or do you, have you noticed a trend of like, Oh, they're a one, so they're typically married to sevens. I'm just using them as that as an example. Yeah, you do see some trends of sort of what comes in as far as pairings. Every once in a while, I'll get ones that are a little bit more unusual. But the one you just mentioned, um, one in sevens, are actually, um, I do see them in relationship quite frequently. Um, and then the, the difficulty often that I will see sort of in that relationship dynamic is, is the sevens want freedom. The ones want structure and organization and sort of similar to sixes, like want to know what to expect and what's going to happen. And then there can be a little bit of like, are you giving me my freedom and are you giving me the structure in the organization that I need to feel sort of um, safe in the world? And like, well, I guess there'll be more six, but like still they ones want to know what's going to happen. They want to know the plan is sort of what I say. Um, After I'm like listening to you talk now, I'm like, I wonder if there's a one in my, um, I've often heard it referred to as like wings, but like, now I'm like, I wonder if there's like a one in mine because I love a, a plan and I'm a recovering perfection or actively trying to recover from perfectionism. So and I feel like it's kind of new-ish. And I say that because I was a social worker for 20 plus years and I didn't start hearing about it until maybe like the past five. Have you found it to be like, when did it kind of come on the scene as far as like, a tool to help know yourself or your partner or your friends and family? It's It's been around for a really long time. And I think that it's kind of ebbed and flowed as far as um, popularity. So I think there was a period and maybe the late eighties, early nineties. And I wasn't aware of it at this point in time. I've actually, I became aware of it probably nine years ago now um, and have been using it in practice, maybe about eight or seven years. Um, but it kind of ebbs and flows psychotherapists being interested in using it in their practice is becoming more recent. Um, and so there was kind of this time in the late 80s, early 90s, I think that it was big and then it wasn't. And then it started kind of coming back into to pop culture and, and space within the, la- the last few years. Um, it was interesting too. I wanted to go back to like you asking about the, the wing, right? Um, and it's like with the wings, like it would be, you would either have a wing of seven or a wing of five, depending on, so it's always the number next to you. But with sixes in particular, they are very similar to one. And you can see like why you might type wrong, right? Because sixes also really like to know the plan because they like to have that reassurance of like what's going to happen. Where a one, it's because it's the right thing to do. And to, and to know. So like even the reasoning behind it, and this is where it can get confusing because it's like, One's, one's like organization structure and sixes like organization and structures. And depending on the three, they, they might as well to sort of achieve their purpose and their, and where they want to go. Um, so it's really interesting. So like when you mentioned that, I was like, yeah, because they're similar, but they're different. Right. Um, and I think like what I always say, like, do you, if you're a one or a six, it's like, do you, are you fearful of being corrupt or do you need reassurance in your environment that what you want is okay um, or that you need the security and safety of the plan or the structure to know that you're okay. I've remembered this is 
may sound silly to some of the listeners, but when I took my test, I took it a couple times and I didn't like my answer. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> I thought was going to be like the right answer, but I was like, oh, I don't want to be a six. And I think it, I think the one of the things I read was like that sixes can be suspicious, but Again, a lot has happened in my life since I read that. But I do remember like taking the test a couple times, an online test, thinking like mm. I was probably dissatisfied with maybe not such of the shiny aspects of the six. But do you know of any um, like famous Enneagram types? I read that Joe Biden is a six and that Barack Obama is a nine. I, I know that um, people believe that Obama was a nine. Um, I wasn't sure about Joe Biden. And I think that people think, uh, well, people can't decide if Donald Trump is either a three or an eight. <laughs> so <laughs> he could be either one of those. Maybe more on the unhealthy side, <laughs> if we think about it in that sense. But yeah, that there is that that he's between sort of those. I'm trying to think of other famous people Um you know, actually, I should I should look at that more. I haven't really even thought about that as far as um, types that famous people could be. Oh, Harry Potter is a nine as well. The character. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nine with an eight wing. So it means that he, you know, so that he, you know, will will um, challenge when necessary, right? So that the nines with the eight wings tend to be um, sort of like they're, they're quiet and they're peaceful until something that's important to them gets threatened and then they will sort of step in and challenge if necessary. Um, I'm a nine with a one wing. So I tend to like, I tend to like organization and structure to create calmness and peace in my environment. Um, But I don't care about, I mean, I do care about whether I'm good or not, but it's not my, it's not my core wounding (laughs) for me, for me, like it was the, my presence doesn't matter. was the thing that like really hit me home. I also didn't want to be a nine because a nine was the pushover type. Right. So it sounds like there's some, you know, when you, when you take the test or for me anyway, again, I was like, that's not what I wanted to be, but I don't know what I wanted to be, but it's just information and data to help us learn about ourselves and like dive a little deeper with our therapist who's an expert on it. And so we kind of know like what people are bringing to the party and kind of like who you see paired with each other. I'm sure all types can partner up together. So I just think it's really interesting, like about the wings. And I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning, like the stacks, the instinctual stackings. Yeah. How do you find out more about that? Like if the listeners want to know like more about that, both of the tests that I mentioned in the beginning will pull out those instinctual stackings as well. And I can go over just briefly sort of what they are and kind of how they work. Um, so basically, there's three instinctual things that we need to sort of survive in the world is kind of the idea behind this. And then we have sort of what's called a stacking. So you have one that's dominant, you have one that's secondary, and then you have one that's um, what we call more repressed. Um, so you don't have easy access to it. 
it. Um, so the three things that we all basically need to survive. So the first one is self-preservation. And so people that have our self-preservation dominant tend to be more focused on comfort and are my basic needs being met? Do I have enough food? Am I warm? Um, they'll focus more on those sorts of things. And so when I was talking about, you know, the Enneagram one bringing the self-preservation one, bringing the perfect food to the party, um, they're going to be well aware of sort of like, that's a basic need we all have. And I want to bring the perfect food item to make sure everybody there um, gets what they need. The two would do that in a, in a, in a different way as well. Um, and so self-preservation is going to be focused on that. Social, our social um, instinct is more about, um, do I have a place and do I belong? So um, I think it can get confused a little bit in the sense of that, that, that they care about um, being part of big groups or their social status. Um, and it's actually more about, like, actually social dominance don't like big groups of people because they're well aware of what's going on with everybody in the group. So they're the one paying attention to, like, is this person bored? Is this person sad? Does this, you know, like, they're, like, they're, they're going to be well aware of everybody's needs sort of in the group as far as do they have a place and how are they experiencing it? And so they tend to actually like smaller groups of people. And I think that can be confusing for, for people. Um, but they want to make sure that in those groups of people, they have a position, right? So I'm actually a, I'm a, I'm a social dominant. Um, and I, and the, the thing we're talking about next is a sexual instinct. That's in my repressed position. So um, I don't actually like big groups of people, for example, but with the small groups of people that I am with, like, I want to make sure that I still belong. I want to make sure that I still have a position and I will worry about that or can become concerned about that if, if that isn't there. But I actually tend to be like to be like on the periphery watching what's going on, but I want to be a part. It's, it's that's the nine social thing. And then the sexual instinct um, is sort of all about the life force and like our desire and need to sort of like you know, the reproduction, being able to kind of connect to the world, the life first, the thing that brings in life. Um, and so sort of how this looks, and I will admit, because it's in my repressed position, I always struggle with how to describe it because it's the one that I have the most difficulty sort of tapping into. Um, but it's about desirability and drive and passion and sort of what they call the juice, like I'm driven towards things or people, right? Um, and there can be a lot of like push-pull that they will have with people because they want to be desirable, but they can also go quickly to repulsion if like, it, and so it's kind of this back and forth that can kind of happen sort of with that, with that as well. But it's that desire to feel alive in a lot of ways and experience what the life force is like. And it becomes an energy or what I call the juice, um, that happens. And then you, you have, like I said, like you kind of have your stacking. So like if we were talking about my stacking in particular, so I have, I'm a nine with a wing of one. Um, and then I am social dominant with then self-preservation in the second position and then sexual instinct in the last position. So the one in your first position, you tend to be a little bit more obsessed with and worried about the one in your second position you tend to have usually a pretty good grasp on. And then the one in your last position, you tend to feel like is not necessary or you're detached from or don't understand it as well. Um, and so that's kind of how that will go. And everybody would have sort of their own stacking. And then, and then there are like categories for each one, but I'm not going to go into that today because we would be here all day. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, I mean, to me, it's actually been really huge in the work in particular because, um, you know, we we will have a certain what I call a certain flavor to how we approach things kind of based on that as well. It sounds like we can find the stacks or wings on the website that 
or websites that you mentioned earlier, just to get an idea. And I'll make sure to link those in the show notes. Also sounds like I've got some more homework to do and stuff to explore with my therapist. Cause now I'm even more curious about those types because I learned something. Thank you. And, and the best, the best book that I've read thus far on instinctual stacking is, is John Lukovich's book. He does a really good job um, and I can't remember, it's like Instinctual Drives, I think it's the Enneagram and Instinctual Drives is the name of the book, but like he actually does a really great job of kind of going through and like, here's what a nine social looks like, and here's what a six self-preservation looks like. Um, and when I read his book about that, I was like, I, yep, I am an, I, I it is confirmed, I am a nine social <laughs> after I read read his book in particular. Um, but, but like I said, Russ Hudson's website will have all that information as well. Um, but yeah, there's Lots of great resources out there too for these. So briefly tell us um, where folks can find you and I'll make sure to link all this, all this goodness in the show notes, but um, where can people find you the, the easiest? Um, the easiest probably where I'm the most active is probably on Instagram, which is just Lindsay Frazier LMFT. Um, and my name is spelled L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y. F-R-A-S-E-R, um, L-M-F-T would be my Instagram page. Um, and then I also do have a Facebook page as well, which is just Lindsay Frazier, L-M-F-T, C-S-T. I'm not on that one as much. Um, and then my website is just lindsayfraser.com. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I hope folks enjoyed listening about the Enneagram and take some self-exploration. I just think it's a really good tool and it's especially a good like starting point when you're trying to learn more about yourself or your partner. And then like, as you said in the beginning, like how different people show up in the world differently. And it's a good starting point. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living My Breastless Life. Head over to Instagram and follow According to HPG to stay connected to the show. Go get your mammograms. Are you loving the podcast? Give us a rating and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps the show stay visible to reach more listeners and help others.